V-O-P-P, the greatest podcast in the galaxy. Ladies, gentlemen, we're here again. Episode 5, the OPP, the greatest podcast in the galaxy. Today, my guest is my friend, my buddy, my pal, Dr. James Lee Jr. He and I met in 1991 at the greatest high school in New Jersey, Columbia High School. He is an orthopedic surgeon, and today I get to learn a little bit about what that journey was like from basically from the end of high school all the way to current day and what that looked like, the obstacles that he had to overcome, some of the struggles that he had, and a lot of the successes as well that he's experienced. I hope you guys really enjoy this again. My buddy, my pal, the family man, the man of the people, the public servant, the orthopedic surgeon, Dr. James Lee Jr. Oh, this is this is exciting. We're living in exciting times, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, you know what? I'm just gonna get into into our thanks for joining. Of course, my guest today. Dr. James Lee Jr. Um, the reason why I wanted to have you on and uh, and talk to you is because um, we've always uh, you've always been my one friend who's completely loved what he does for a living, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I I've always um, so I um. I actually had my sister on yesterday. Um, You know, we're we're pumping these things out a little little bit faster than I thought we would. And she's also the same boat. You know, she, this is my sister who's acting in Los Angeles. Right. right. Um, So she's also in the same boat as you. She's very passionate, loves what she does. And so I was like, wow, if we can get two people who love what they do um, to kind of walk us through what their like a typical day looks like for them, um, what it is that they like about what they do. I can share that with folks and maybe inspire some folks to, to, to some changes, to enact some changes in their lives, you know? Absolutely. So, um, before we do that, I'm, I'm always big about backstory, right? So the backstory for, for you and I is that, um, my parents uh, were living, we were all living in West Orange uh, mm-hmm. for basically my whole childhood. And then my parents, <laughs> like the real, real backstory is um, on our street, uh, there was a shooting. And um, I think uh, two kids died and uh, one kid lost his sight. It was some some crazy thing where, uh, where this guy just basically went nuts. Um, you came home from work and these kids were like uh, messing around, kicking his car. He got pissed, went inside his house, grabbed his gun and just came out and start, started firing. And this happened like right down the street from us. Oh boy. So, um, yeah. So my parents were like, all right, we got to get out of here. And this is West Orange. It's not far from South Orange. My That's parents, right. you know, they found a place in South Orange and uh, we moved to South Orange uh, going into my sophomore year. And that's where uh, you and I met. Of course. That's right. That's right. Yep. 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 So what I want to do is we don't have to take it all the way back to your childhood. Why don't we start with uh, senior year of high school? 
right? Sure. We're all sitting in uh, AP biology class. <laughs> and if you, <laughs> if you think about our AP biology class, like uh, I would say like 30 to 40% of that class is doctors and lawyers at this point. It's, right. it's pretty crazy, right? There's like you, there's Neil, there's uh, Tim Gilman, a bunch of folks who are in law or in medicine. So at that point, I wanted to ask you, did you know, like senior year, I'm in high school, going to college, but I'm going to be a doctor? Yeah, um, I had a good idea. I think it's always something that um, interest, interested me. Uh, the field of medicine is fascinating and I will take it back a little bit. I think I probably started my earliest exposure to medicine about six or seven years old. You know, my, as you know, my dad's a doctor, also an orthopedic surgeon. And I think there was this like theme, um, in our family that, yeah, you know, junior was going to become, you know, the second coming, he's going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And, um, I think that was sort of the backstory, but the actual nuts and bolts was, you know, an early exposure to medicine when I was young. So what used to happen is um, on the weekends, I would just go to the hospital with my dad. I would end up making rounds. You know, you, you make your, you know, he made his rounds in the, in the weekends and I would come along and it was more or less like I'm taking my son to work. And what I saw um, or what I witnessed was somebody who enjoyed what he did. I, it wasn't right. the science of medicine. It wasn't the techniques. It wasn't about like the hip replacement, the exposure, the anatomy. It was like, I'm going to work. I'm going to enjoy interacting with people. And I think that had a big influence on me. Right. And I, I told people that like, you know, if, if my dad owned a pizza shop or a gas station, um, I might end up doing that. I just think that uh, it was kind of the the joy and gratification of work. And he he also did financially. And that wasn't um, what I really was looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. It certainly was was a part of it. I think, you know, many folks, they look at medicine as a way that you can earn a good living. And you can. I mean, you certainly can do that. But I think the earliest exposure was like, you know, there here's a guy. Uh, um, you know, at the time it's like, you know, my dad's like, you know, I thought he was perfect. I thought he was like, you know, indestructible genius that like did everything in the world and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, he could do no wrong, you know, and I yeah, you know, yeah, obviously yeah. We, we grow up and we evolve, but I think that was my first exposure to medicine as something that was joyful. Mm-hmm. Now I'll say the journey from senior year took me to, um, Emory university. So I think all of us in that room, we're very, we're, we're intelligent. You know, we had guys going to Princeton. You had yeah. folks going to Harvard. Yeah. Um, and who were doing well. And I think for, for you and I and everyone, we had peers who did well. And I think that was kind of expected. It's like, all right, you know, what, what are our peers doing? Um, and for me, I sort of had a, a little bit of a foundation to kind of look at the end game. Like, all right, at the end, this, you know, this could be fun. It could be something that um, you could enjoy. And so, right. When leaving high school, it was like, all right, I think I want to play ball. You know, I played ball in high school. I'm going to play ball at Emory. And I ended up um, doing an early decision and going down to Atlanta. And I knew at the time that Emory had a good pre-med program. You know, the CDC was there and big university. And I thought um, I would, you know, basically have the best of both worlds, play play basketball, uh, study, yeah, and then go from there. So I'll, I'll say that. Now – to become a doctor, you, you have to go through 
uh, the rigors of studying and, and create that pathway. And so at Emory, um, I would say I definitely encountered challenges. It was like, you know, you had your, your organic chemistry, you had calculus, you had a lot of the prerequisites that you have to take in order to succeed. Okay. And, uh, I mean, my freshman year, it was definitely not easy. You know, I, I, I did fairly well, you know, academically, but it was not a cakewalk. It was not easy. And I think I was lucky enough to um, run into a good buddy of mine. You've met him. His name's Hormuz Wadia. Yep, yep, and yep. he and I met sophomore year and we were like road dogs. It was it. It was like we, we I was sort of talking to a young lady. He kind of had a, a female friend. And what happened was we were basically the um, the two outcasts. Like they were girls and they were like, oh, these two guys we know. Yo, Hormuz. Okay. They were like, yo, Hormuz, that's James. You, they're, y'all are going to be lab partners. And it was like this. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's how it started. We like, it was in general chemistry class, I think. And the two, uh, it was Lakshmi and Jennifer, right? Both of them are doctors. Okay. Actually, one's in, both in Florida. One's a G, OBGYN. The other's a GI doctor. Wow. And they were kind of like, yeah, these are two, you know, guy friends. And you guys are going to be lab partners because we're going to be lab partners. And the oh, girls could do their thing. Yeah. Yep. And so that, um, was like boom and that was like i had a i had a running mate the rest right. of of undergrad and we both had the same idea we both want to become doctors and so okay we ended up pushing each other um we spent a lot of time in the library a lot of time studying at night and just pushing each other pushing like okay. we, we each had certain skills i think um and certain strengths and certain weaknesses you know right. and i think we we complemented each other and i think um you know, knowing, you know, that you know, my dad was a doctor and, you know, Hormuz, Hormuz's father was a, not a physician, but he was um, a PhD in chemistry, bio, biochemical engineering. It okay. was like academia was kind of in our DNA, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so success was expected. And I think we were like, all right, let's do this. And so from that point forward, we we took the same prerequisites and we took the MCAT together. We studied for the MCAT. In Atlanta, as you know, um, Freaknik was was there. Freaknik is sort of this huge party of folks that uh, get together, and it was ironic enough. That's that, like the most diff. That's the most yeah. diplomatic way of describing right, Freaknik. Right, right. Well, listen, you know, if you're in Freaknik, you kind of know what it means. Um, exactly. But anyway, you know, we we did Freaknik, but I remember the the year after we we kind of hung and drove around and did Freaknik. Was this that same weekend was always MCAT weekend? It was always the oh. weekend of the MCAT. So I remember um, our junior year, we went out to Athens, Georgia. You know, when we took our MCAT at the University of Georgia, um, okay. because it was off, it was outside of Atlanta. We we're like, man, we got to get out of here. You know, we just got to go, and um, we had put our time in. And so all that's to say is that um, I had another like positive influence. I sort of had a mentor who was on my level, a peer, I guess. Who right. was like, we're, we're in this together. And listen, it was hard. I mean, I tell you what, I mean, you know, I, I struggled on some exams. You know, I took the MCAT twice. I, I, I yeah. by no means was I one of these, like, I wasn't a Tim Gilman, just like, yeah. okay, I'm gonna wake up and get a 41 on the MCAT. That was not, <laughs> you know, I, just, I, mean, I didn't, didn't have that, you know, but it was a grind. And I think for me, it's like, all right, I kind of saw the end game. And then I had a, 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 a peer, and I had other, and there was plenty of other people at Emory that um, okay. certainly I, w- I could thank and 
you know, my, my folks back home gave me plenty of support, but I think sort of that organic experience, um, with somebody else where it's like late nights and, you know, you know, and, and, and one of the most gratifying, um, experiences was Hormuz and I were accepted to medical school in the same day. So October of our senior years where we were taking martial arts class, our gym class. And like <laughs> we're, we're going to our, you know, it's called the the um, the gym, uh, the Wood Woodruff Gym or whatever. And uh, we're both like coming to class with these huge smiles on our faces, and we run to each other with letters in our hands, and we're like, it was like, yeah, you know, it was it was awesome. It was, and we framed our letters, and it was yeah. just like this um, awesome experience. And I think um, no, that is that has linked us forever. So undergrad, it was like, all right, you know. We got into medical school. I sort of accomplished the goal. It's like, all right, let's let's do this. And so, wow, yeah. So before and you so, go on, yes. So, two things about about college. So, when did you realize with basketball, like, oh, okay, this this is this is not going to work, right? So, I played basketball for two years, and okay. I would say I had you know minimal to moderate success. You know, I played some varsity. I played in a few games. Traveled with the team. But I think I realized between um, uh, the prerequisites and then essentially have another job with basketball. And then I also joined a fraternity. And so that was that was another um, uh, part of my life that that took a lot of time and commitment. And so, yeah, I just had to make a choice. And I still ended up playing basketball. I just did it recreationally as opposed to, you know, uh, in the NCAA. I got you. And I got you. It was you. like you know, I still love the game, but I don't think I can dedicate this much time to mm-hmm. uh, basketball, you know, studying and then and then uh, being a part of the fraternity. So it just was demanding. It was it was essentially yeah. no time. So it was a tough decision, but I think ultimately um, it was the right choice, and I felt okay about it. I, I had I made peace with it. You know, after right. I, I remember sitting down with I was it was Coach Pete Manuel. Was our coach? Ironically enough, he was actually a much better tennis player than basketball coach. He, <laughs> That's funny. He, he, he was, yeah, he was actually a really good tennis player. But um, he, uh, I sat down with him my junior year, and he, he was like, you know, Jimmy, he's like, you're, you're, you're on the team. He was like, you know, you have a spot. He was like, you've earned it. Um, and I just told him, I was like, I just don't think I can do it. You know, I appreciate, you know, wow. what you've done. And I put a lot of time in the summer. I was working hard, but I realized it was just it wasn't for me. And um, mm-hmm. it was a tough thing. Like, I, I, don't, I don't ever remember kind of quitting a sport or quitting anything. And right. it kind of felt a little bit of a letdown. But I also thought it was like, all right, well, I'm quitting this, but I'm, I'm dedicating my time to some other things. That was a kind of, a, you know, becoming an adult, trying to figure out, yeah. you know, what you can do, what you can't do, you know, testing your boundaries, your limits, and then knowing what, what you're able to do. And so uh, mm. that was something that, um, you know, I think – it, it was fine. Looking back on it, it was the right decision, and right. Um, you know, I ended up. Uh, and, and then, so let me also ask about pledging because at my school, you were basically either an athlete or you were in a fraternity. Most people didn't really dedicate um, their time to both, or there was not not enough time between the two a days and practices with sports and everything. So, what what made you say what what attracted you to pledging? How did you get um, recruited? How did that, how did that all go down? Yeah. So, um, that's a good question. I met a, a young, uh, a fella named Troy, um, Thompson. So Troy Thompson ended up being my line brother, Troy Thompson, who actually ironically enough was a, he was a, I think he was an all American. He's in, in the hall of fame at Emory for track and field. Oh, so wow. he was somebody who was able to 
to run track and be very successful. So I ended up meeting him um, sophomore year, and all he would talk about was Alpha Phi Alpha. All he would talk about, oh, you know, you, um, it, it's an amazing organization. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. is an alpha. Um, you know, the community service, you know, they do is so cool and, and the parties and they have a frat house and that's all he talked about. And so we hit it off. And so yeah. I ended up, I, I really didn't know much about Greek life, honestly, when I, before I got to Emory. I mean, I, I remember as a freshman, I saw like the Q's having a party and people were talking and some of the, um, some of my female classmates were like, you know, suddenly online, like, what do you mean online? Not talking to people and, you know, right, dressing right. weirdly. And then suddenly there were these AKAs and they were stepping and like, what is that? Like, I, I had no idea what that was. I mean, I know some people had watched the different world. Yeah. Sort of saw some of that, right. I didn't, I think I missed that episode. Um, it was like a lot of people, that's what, they, that's what they base it on. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. For sure. For sure. So that's funny. I, um, I kind of was like ignorant, you know, and I, I got mm-hmm. some educating from Troy and, I talked to some other people, and then what I did notice, though, was when I was looking at the fraternities, um, in the alphas, they were all doctors and lawyers. Okay. Like, basically, it was just like um, they did service, and their reputation was that they're going to medical school, or they're going to law school, or they're going into business. Right. And that's kind of like it was like okay, that is a, that is attractive. That's like okay, let me let me look into this. So. Okay. I ended up um, going to a couple of uh, socials and then um, there was sort of a, a recruitment process where you went to the alpha house and then you, you're basically interviewed and then you had to kind of make a decision. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, this is uh, somewhat, it's a secretive and if you decide to move forward, you know, you can't really necessarily talk about, talk the about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, basically to this day, right? <laughs> it's yeah, so crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can, yeah. I mean, you know, without going into specifics, but essentially, you, you know, there was a process where you basically had to learn about the fraternity in a very intense way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, do well, you know, with your academics and then do a lot of community service, yeah. get to know all the brothers in the chapter, you know, in pressure cooker type situations. Yeah. Essentially. So I guess if you want to give an analogy of like, if you joined um, an organization and like you had to do a weekend and you had to get to know your executives very well in a short mm-hmm. amount of time, and if you didn't, you might be fired or you know, something right. like that. You know, it's right. like, you have to do all these. Um, yeah, you yeah. I think you're downplaying. I mean, yeah. I, I I have my own stories about it. I know you can't share stories, but the one thing I, I'm curious about is you like the beforehand. There's like a recruitment, and it's almost right. like you're a star athlete, like yeah. in high school visiting a new school, right? right? They're like, oh, this is this is the, this is the new university. This is how it's gonna be. It's gonna be girls. It's gonna be parties. Yeah. It's gonna be amazing. You're gonna have fun. And then like day one of pledging, you're like, wait a second, what did I sign up for here? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. So so I mean, I I would just say like what you know, you can look on the news and see the stuff that's happening, right? You right. see like these kids. That that is just crazy. Right. Like looking back, um, you know, we pledge and we, you know, definitely. Like I would just say, if I could categorize it, like the sleep deprivation wasn't a good thing. Yeah. Um, I think it did. Act, you know, to some extent, it. You know, you're sleep deprived. You're not going to perform as well academically. Right. So, in those scenarios, I will say that that um, is not safe. Um, and you know, um, it's not condoned by the fraternity. Um. Mm. And looking I, back on it, it's like you know I, I you know there's circumstances where you you know you're pushed yeah and um, yeah, yeah. it's stressful and and you're you know I, I think looking at it it's like you know I have two boys and it's like 
you know, it, you you have a son. It's like, and you have a daughter. You know, we yep. have a daughter. So we, if we're gonna drop, you know, three hundred grand for them to go to school, <laughs> I'm not trying to hear that I pledge I need to, you know, spend an extra year or like I'm, I'm dropped out. Like I'm not, I'm not feeling that. Like it's like not. Nah. Like looking back on it, it's like I, I, I'm not gonna. You're not gonna do what I did. Like basically, in a nutshell, right. um, you're gonna be like studying and handling your business. And it's, it's like I, I, I totally understand. And then when you, when you're undergrad and the frat, this, the frat, that. And yeah, it's mad cool. And again, the experience is amazing. But again, it comes with a cost. Like you have to pay a price. Yeah. And there is a price to pay. And some people, the price is that they can fail out. Wow. Um, they, they become, they can become disillusioned uh, with the organization. You know, um, mm-hmm. if, if, you know, sometimes there's personalities within the, you know, the chapter that they'll get along and all of that goes with Well, it. yeah. So, yeah. So that's before we move on. That's my one question about it. It's like, um, I'll, I'll, let's say I'm talking about another fraternity because I don't know the alphas, but um, you, you, again, you are, you are, you are, sw- you are wooed by an organization. You go in, you pledge. It's like hell, right? Sleep deprivation, people screaming, uh, some paddling going on, some crazy things. I always wonder, like, how do you reconcile that afterwards? And then, you know, you're all of a sudden. We're friends. We're all buddies now. After you went through like <laughs> that torturous situation, I've always I, I yeah. could never get my, wrap my head around that. Right, right. Well, I think for us, you know, um, I'll just say you know, violence wasn't a big part of the equation. But I agree with you. I think you have to buy in, right? And then, right. And, and that's the thing. Like you either you buy in or you don't buy in. And some people decide not to complete the process. And um, I think you have to. You have to. Uh, recognize that, that um, you know, that there's quote unquote, I suppose, lessons behind everything. But, you know, you're, you're undergrads, we're immature, we're young men. And we, you know, right. it's like everybody's is evolving. And so there were certainly there was beef between people from time to time. Um, and okay. that goes across every fraternity, every sorority. Yeah. Um, people think, yeah, you know, yeah. this person went over the top, or they did too much, or they, they kind of pushed it. And so yeah. um, I think you're right. I think that, um, it takes it takes time. I think you you say okay now that you have crossed those burning sands and you're part of the organization, you wear the colors. Um, I guess you're in the club more or less. Some people mm-hmm. like you know like having that status. Um, other people it's not you know not for them. And I would just right. say for me that I know I did have a very positive experience as an alpha, and it certainly paid dividends in my professional life. But it comes with a cost. Like it's, it's not yeah. perfect. You know, it's nothing mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's just not. And I, I don't want to paint yeah, a picture yeah. of like, I think when you, you first pledge and you know, everybody's different. You certainly, you know, you may be talking peaches and cream and like, you know, my SHT doesn't stink. And this is right. You know, it's just, and it's not the case. I mean, just in any organization, there's definitely issues that arise, but I would just say certainly more positive than negative okay. and plenty of role models and, and really positive experiences. Um, with with service i think that's the thing like we we did a lot like we raised um just some things we did we raised over i don't know probably a hundred thousand dollars for the sickle cell foundation of georgia um we did a lot of work with um, middle schools in the community where we would um go to schools and tutor and there was outreach um we mm-hmm. did a jerry lewis telephone so it, you know i think did you really <laughs> Oh yeah, we did Jerry the, at right by the Atlanta the Atlanta airport. Yep, Jerry. Oh wow. Airport. Yeah, and it was, wow. it was funny. Every year we'd have to get up at like five in the morning, and we would um, go out to the airport, and it was like a ho- it was like the Hilton Hotel right by the airport. 
Yeah, and yeah. I remember, like, I just think it was like we got up early, but like, I think you had to be about it. And, and um, if you were scarred, you know, some people got over the scars, some people didn't. Um, yeah. That was it. I mean, I think that you know, I think one of the, I would say one issue that I had sometimes is you you would meet some of the older bros, you call them the old heads, the guys who are maybe yeah. 10, 15 years older. And some would come back and would be like super nice, and others would come back and sort of, you know, you 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 would have you're a new alpha, but some of them still kind of challenged you. And oh, and, I see. You know, and sometimes it was uncomfortable. It's like you have these yep. guys who are, you know, um, working. The and, old ways. It was much tougher than yeah, you guys. You guys don't know anything. Exactly right. right. So you could run into oh that. So God. again, and but you know now I don't I don't run into that now. And and I think you know to your point, once you graduate, there is probably. Statistically, I think about seventy to seventy-five percent of people are are inactive after undergrad. Oh wow! Yes. So wow. yeah, it drops off. I want to. I don't. Don't. I don't know if that's an exact, but I've heard that before, and I've talked to you know just within our organization and you know across the board, people drop off because you suddenly your your, your peers, you know, people move on. They they have jobs. Right. They, they go to grad school, um, and you can't you know necessarily relive those undergrad days. You, yep. you know, you can remember, remember them, but you can't like you, once you, you're out, it's like you're not on campus anymore. And, you know, you have some of those like lifetime bros who kind of hang around the undergrad scene. But um, yep. ultimately, you have to, again, make another choice, you know, and for, oh, for me, I see. it was like, all right, you know, I pledged. Um, I, I certainly, you know, was able to take advantage of the network um, as time went on. But like, you know, the true test is, are you active as a grad? brother yeah you know, uh, yep. in your grad life and for me i am like i i went you know some years where i wasn't active i you know between being a resident being a medical school being a resident you know um, starting practice getting married you know the deal i don't have to preach yep. to you but you just the time isn't there and i think as i've matured and gotten older um i certainly have dedicated some time to being active again and i think you know when you you, you know a lot of us that are in the fraternities you sort of have like i'm an alpha it's like you have the alpha idea you try to live up to that ideal you try to say all right you know what were mlk standards like he was right those are high standards i was just gonna say that right you know it's just like what he accomplished what he did what he stood for it's like he's an alpha man like how you know and that's what you try to strive for and you try to do it um in your daily life and for me i i you know i think i've always dedicated time to teaching and trying to be in the community and educating and i think that's part of what I am. So I think in ways I felt like I was always trying to be an alpha man, but when you're actually active in a chapter, that takes a whole nother commitment. That's like, okay, you know, you might be on a committee, you, you, you know, you have a regular service project to do a fundraising. Um, you know, you're, you're, uh, like for me, like when I joined the, the greater Newark chapter, one of the things I did last year is I just gave a five minute talk on, um, low back pain to the brotherhood. You know, there's a mixture of brothers who are in their eighties all the way down to recent undergraduate oh, graduates. Wow. Um, wow. You know, as, as a physician, it's like, what can I bring to the table? What can I do to, to educate? And, and, um, there's, there's like a health and wellness committee and I'm on the committee. And it's like, all right, what can I do to help here? And, and that was one thing I did. It's like, all right, be a resource. And, um, right. I think other folks, you know, they look to you for that. And, and that's how I can sort of, um, contribute, but it is, it's nice. an ideal. It's, you're always trying to, to, um, uh, do what you can and hmm. having other bros and, and peers um, helps. Right. Right. So we're going to get into that a little bit more later as we get into your, your current day work in terms of like teaching and educating, but let's step back to, so now you and Hormuz, you've got your papers, 
you're off to med school. So now what's, what's that whole lifestyle experience like for you? Um, med school was, was pretty amazing. I have to say. So I went to medical school at Temple university in Philadelphia. And so okay. it's funny, like Emory was, was in Atlanta campus was green. Um, they literally, like if, if, if a tulip died, it was replaced within an hour. It was like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, like Coca-Cola money. So like billion dollar endowment. Oh, that's so, right. Oh, that's yeah. right. Like yeah. I mean, just huge resources. There's CDCs right on campus or right behind campus. So a place where the, a lot of green in in a suburban area. Then I got to Temple in Philly, and, and Temple's in in smack dab in No Town Philly back again. Exactly right, <laughs> at, right on. It's in North Broad Street. Um, in I don't want to say the hood. It's just in North Philly. You know, right off Broad yeah, Street. Yeah. So you have um, you know, the range of of, of socioeconomic status, and certainly yeah. in the in the city it's inner city so i would get i got there i'm like damn this concrete everywhere there's like no flowers and i was like what am i doing here and um i remember the first week i i did like a, a pre-matriculation program for some um students of color and i remember driving on broad street and i got in my very first car accident i think oh my yeah, god I left and i got nailed and i don't know whose fault it was but um it was like what just happened? It was like my first week. And I'm like, I, I, I honestly had this thought um, that I'm going to die in Philadelphia. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I thought that, like, I think I'm going to die here. And um, it, it, it was further. It was nothing was further from the truth. But at the time, it was like, I don't know if that was my initiation or what, but got in a car accident, had this Acura Integra. And it was gone. It was like, see ya. Um, wow. Wow. I ended up, you know, getting another car, getting a, a, a Jeep. But it was like, welcome to Philly, son. <laughs> and, um, but, but I'll say this, man. By the time I left Philadelphia, I missed it. So. Oh, wow. I love Philly. Like, I, I one, of the, one of the oldest cities in the country. Um, yep. And amazing food. Um, culture was very rich. A very blue-collar place. Yep, um, yep. And I had a chance. Um, I, I tell this story a lot. I think uh, I remember. I think it was my first year. I went to um, the first Friday, and it was at the African American Museum of Art. And I remember I ran into this seventy sixers cheerleader, young lady, beautiful, aspiring physician. And I remember talking to her like, "Oh man, I'm talking to this cheerleader," and telling her like, "I'm in medical school," and she was digging me. And I remember um, she suddenly was starting to look past me. And, uh, <laughs> Like, you know, doing those things, like craning around, craning around. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, hi. It was like, look. And then, and then in, in walks in the, the Eagles' first-round draft pick. They traded the world for him, Donovan McNabb. Walked into the room. <laughs> and it was, yeah. and uh, it was funny. I thought it was funny. Um, but uh, that was funny for me because it was like, oh, wow, Donovan McNabb. Okay, I guess I can't compete with him. So, yeah, exactly. So when I when um, I was in Philly, yeah, the Eagles were just getting better, and the, and the Sixers actually became good. They had Allen Iverson, and they oh, had right. the finals that um uh, against the, the oh Lakers. to the Lakers. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Sports wise, but getting wow. back to school, um, I had a great first year. Honestly, I I had one of the most amazing anatomy instructors. His name is Carson Schneck, and this guy had a photographic memory. Um, but wow, his ability to teach anatomy. Um, and, uh, his experience in the lab, it, it was amazing. Like I, I, it, you know, it was your, your first year freshman student and your first class is anatomy and you had to be in anatomy lab and you have to be around right. cadavers and, you know, you get sort of oriented and then they, they put you in the lab and you're dissecting from head to toe 
learning your anatomy. Get out of here. Yeah. And it was, uh, and they had a Socratic style. So, um, Dr. Schneck, he had a photographic memory. So he he just could look at you. He knew he, there was 190 students in my class. And by week one, he knew everybody's name um, and face. And so he just, he was, and he could like, there'd be students who'd come who were like graduates from 10 years before him. Like, Hey Jane, how are you doing? How are things going? Wow. Like he just, it was unbelievable. Long story short. Um, it was my first real introduction to Socratic method. And you know what Socratic method is, is like, they just ask you questions. You're in a big, in, um, a big classroom. Okay. And the Socratic method is basically just ask you the question and you have to answer the question in front of like 50 people. And it's just kind of like, uh, and they do it okay. randomly. So like, you know, they would, you know, Dr. Schneck would put up a slide and, it might be a, a cross-sectional anatomy of the head and neck. And he'd be like, James, uh, what is that structure up there? What does that do? And, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, it's intimidating, but then you're like, wait a second. Like, I kind of know what it is. Like, you sort of build right. confidence because you you dissected it in the lab. You read hours and hours. And then, like, you go from being afraid to suddenly, like, flexing in class. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. You know, that's the carotid artery. And it bifurcates here. And blah, blah, blah. The vagus nerve is adjacent to it. Da, 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 da. And, um, right. you know, you might get stuff wrong every now and again, but then I think many of us who were, were motivated were like, Oh, I think I, I like this. Like, you know, yeah. Anatomy is fun. Like that to me is still something that fascinates me to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm humbled by anatomy. I, I, um, I'm blessed that I'm able to, um, you know, dissect in people's bodies basically and look at their anatomy and try to alter it in a positive way. And so, right. I had a really good teacher and, um, you know, and you had your classmates who were trying to do the same thing. Like the I had thing, right? at least 20 other people in my class that wanted to be orthopedic surgeons. And we all knew that it was difficult to get a residency in orthopedic surgery. It was not easy. Oh, is that, so, is that true? Is that right? Yes, I didn't know that. Very true. It's one of the hardest ones to get. It's like neurosurgery, orthopedics, ophthalmology, dermatology. They're just, there's only so many spots. And got it. Got it. It's just limited. And so um, I think over time, it's like, OK, I can do this. I'm, I'm just as good as anyone else, if not better. And, um, you know, you ended yep. up I ended up doing well in anatomy. I, I, I did well and I enjoyed it. And um, my affiliate experience was definitely positive. I was I was poor. And it's so funny, like, <laughs> financially, I, I, it was my first experience with loans. too. So, like, yeah, my dad was able to, you know, pay for undergrad, but, you know, medical school was on me and um, yeah. I didn't really fully understand what I was getting into financially, but like, basically, <laughs> like, you know, you had these FAFSA loans and these Sally Mae loans and all our, all myself and, you know, my peers, we were just happy to get our refund check every, you know, month. Like, Oh, I got my refund check. And we were like, I had no idea. Like that refund check, man, I'm going to be paying that off forever. <laughs> right. Forever. You know, so yeah, man, my my uh my loans, you know, I graduated north of north of two hundred grand. You know, it was just like oh, yeah, like five oh. percent. And I, but the thing is, as a as a student, like I knew I was taking loans, but I don't think I was ever, you know, I was privileged. So I never had to sit, you know, really be put in a position where it's like, all right, you got something to pay back, like right, and like you're owed, and like I didn't. I'm I'm kind of glad I was ignorant because I didn't. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't in school with financial pressure thinking about it i was like you know i i have these loans but it was more or less just trying to be the best i could be and competing and doing well and i didn't really 
think about it until I became a resident where it's like, all right, I have a salary. And then you get the letter in the mail, like, okay, when do you want to start paying these back? You know? Oh, um, right, yeah. right, oh, right, yeah. right. And you're like, it's like, as soon as you graduate, you have like, what, six months, nine months, and then you have to start, oh, yeah. you're expected to start paying it back. Exactly. And so, whoa. yeah, wow, it was whoa. just like, okay, you know, reality check there, but yeah. Um, so yeah. for, for med school, how is it, is it five years? Is that right? Six, five? Well, four years of med school. It's four years. Oh, okay. Okay. So typically, I mean, it's evolving with time, but typically you spend two years, I wouldn't say in the classroom, but most of it is your uh, basic science educating. So okay. You, you learn a lot your uh, physiology, biochemistry, um, pharmacology, pathology. Um, you get that. Um, and my second year is when we started to get exposure into the community where you could shadow a physician. And uh, I have a funny story. So I remember my assignment was in North Philly. It was a, it was a community guy who was an OBGYN. Yep. And I remember um, going to, uh, you know, dress, you know, wear my white coat. I was so excited to wear my short white coat. I, I was so excited to have a white coat and, you know, wear yep. uh, my tie, go to the clinic. And so I'm um, shadowing this guy, loves his job. He, his patients love him. Like at these women come in and he's helping them. And so one day, a woman comes in. She must have been in her early twenties, and she. Oh, what kind of what kind of doctor is he? By the oh, way, oh, I'm sorry. He's an OBGYN. Okay. OBGYN. Okay. Yeah, OBGYN. Yeah, obstetrics gynecology. So basically, female health. Yeah. And so, uh, one day, this um woman, Caucasian woman, in her probably in her twenties, comes in, and she is pale and pasty, like really, um, not healthy looking, almost yep. like yeah that idea, like vampirish looking. Yep. And she complains of um she's having vaginal bleeding. And so, um, I, need, I think I need like, to, oh. I think I need to sit down for this. I have to describe it because it's a vivid memory. And so yep. I remember I had this cool, um, I had this really cool, uh, pen. It was a bone. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be an orthopedist. So I had a bone that pulled apart and it was like a pen. And so I thought I was kind of cool. So I had that around my neck. I'm, I'm like, cool. And then he, um, goes in the room with the patient, he brings me in. He's like, okay, you, you got to look closely here. And so, he, um, he, I'm, re- I'm sitting behind him and she sits on the exam table, puts her legs up and he puts the speculum in, you know, yep. her vaginal area and this bright red blood comes out of her. Oh. Um, yeah. And it was just like, he's like, look, look, look. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, uh, I, I, cause I knew like I was about to pass out and I was gonna, I was gonna fall on him and potentially on her. And so I just said, I just excused myself. And like, I was so glad there was, there was a conference room, like across the hallway. I literally stumbled i literally like my legs like <laughs> and i stumbled into the the um into the chair and like literally within two minutes my shirt was stuck to me with sweat. <laughs> like, it, was like, I, it was unbelievable it was like just drenched it was it was just like this i was i was embarrassed but i was too too like close to fainting to even care like it was like yeah was yeah like, yeah yeah i was like i might pass out i just don't care like people laughing at me right now it was just one of those <laughs> things like i'm glad i found a chair and like i remember the nurses and the the staff that were there kind of were chuckling and then they were like oh no that's okay don't worry he came and he spoke to me afterwards and he said you know sometimes this happens don't worry and yeah. um, i i got over it but it was like i didn't think that was going to happen to me yeah, you know, yeah, I, just, yeah. I didn't. Think, I thought, oh yeah, my dad's a doc. I used to shadow, and you know, and you realize that like that experience is like you know is is good, but it's tiny compared to yep. what you eventually go through and what you'll see and what you're exposed to. So that was like, 
dang, I, I, it was humbling, but it was like, you know, I, you're, you realize that like, you just, you know, the reality of medicine can, you know, can really alter the way you think and yeah, yeah. put your hands on that. And I realized like, I, that's probably not for me. That part <laughs> I, love, of the body. I love the doctor's enthusiasm. Right. He's right. like, yo, exactly. check this out. Check this yeah. out. Seriously, like literally like pulling me by his shoulder. Like, look at this. And I'm like, what? And it was just like, oh, man, I got to get out now. Like, it was like, I, I knew something was wrong. And um, yeah, I, I made. I literally, honestly, if it had been more than like six feet across the hall, I wouldn't have made it. But, um, yeah, it was bad. Oh but, um, man, I got over it, and I yeah, we la- I laughed it off. I kind of like you know, I told some friends, and yeah, um, you sort of you move on, and and yeah, that's cool. part of learning as a student. You you're put in situations, and you have to adapt to it. And I honestly, yeah. ironically enough, my first rotation as a third year medical student was OBGYN. And I ended up okay. loving it. I never, I didn't have any issues in the clinic. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I delivered a, my first two babies and um, it was I'll awesome. get out of here. I actually like Wow, you guys, you guys go all in. I didn't realize like oh, how, yeah. Yeah. wow. Yeah, delivered wow, two wow, babies. Wow. I remember one baby. Oh, yeah, another, I'll tell you another experience too. Like uh, uh, I was put, oh, this was, this was, this was tough. So um, delivered two babies and then I'm on call and this woman comes in okay, and her water broke and she didn't realize it. And so um, her baby was basically in distress. And so okay. this baby had basically no oxygen for like an extended period of time. And I remember um, the, the OBGYN doctor on call, I forgot his name. We rushed this woman because it was basically a baby who was dying. It was like it didn't right. have any oxygen. I don't remember the exact circumstance, but I just know this woman's water broke. And she didn't know it. And this baby had been um, uh, without oxygen for a while. This dude literally, uh, I think she had maybe a spinal. He literally sprayed betadine on her tummy and cut it okay. open and cut open her uterus. And literally in like four minutes, a baby was out. Wow. Yeah, it was like I never – like I, I didn't know what was happening. But he basically was doing an emergency C-section because the baby – Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I met the, I met, you know, as a part of the process, you, you know, you meet the, the wife and the mom, I should say, I met the husband. And I remember somehow I got the assignment of, of telling the, the dad and the parents as a student yep. that their baby had severe brain damage and oh, no. had uh, like a minimal chance of surviving. And I remember that, you know, they became out like basically purple and, you know, not responsive oh, and like damage. And I remember like there was a chief resident who kind of yelled at the resident in charge of me. He was like, why did you make the student do that? You know, he shouldn't be put in that situation. And I remember I wasn't that uncomfortable. I felt like, um, you know, probably like looking back and I was over my head, but I was just being compassionate. I didn't necessarily have the science to explain to them. Yeah. I remember breaking, kind of breaking it to them and explaining it to them. And then they had a choice. Um, I didn't give them the choice, but they had a choice of letting the baby go or wow. dealing with a baby that um, was going to be permanently brain damaged and likely was going to be minimally functional. Right. And so they made the choice to let the baby go. Wow. And, um, yeah. And I remember I was a part of that. And, I, and that was like, um, you know, cause later on in life, you know, I'm, you, I'm sure you remember, you know, my younger sister had a baby um, under, yes. you know, with, with the genetic deformity and okay. with respiratory issues that eventually succumbed and died. And so, right. Not that it prepared me, and this is the first time I'm sort of kind of relating it to, but um, 
you just get these life experiences that like yeah. you can not get anywhere else, you know? Right. And yep. you're uh, put and that's, you know, part of, you know, what, um, you know, makes you a physician and, you know, makes you know, builds character and, and uh, it's humbling and mm -hmm. you see death. And um, it was um, it was difficult, but I felt that it was a, a good experience. You know, it was, right. it was one where I, I'd learned from it and um, it was like, welcome to medicine. Like this is kind of like real yeah especially i i'm shocked i honestly i, I guess in my head I, yeah in my head i always thought like classes for three four years and then we bring you in the hospital like kind of like uh mr miyagi and, and daniel like yeah. we're not we're not actually gonna work on the strikes you're gonna paint this fence for a year yeah, first yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, scrub this ultimately to be honest man it's, it's like you know you can study and take all those exams but once you're you're dealing with a patient in clinical circumstance, the the your 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 foundation and your knowledge helps, but you have to be able to apply it and you have to synthesize it and you have to bring it all together. Um, and I think when you're sort of in it and what in medicine, like there's steps you have to take. So you know the lowest person on the totem pole in, in medical school is that third year medical student. Then you have mm -hmm. the fourth year medical student who's like we call them the sub internship because they're one year below internship. Then you have the yep. intern, and then you have your junior residence, and then you have your your, your chief residence. And so okay. when you're a student, you, you basically have a ladder of command. And as a student, okay. you're, you're like, you, you know, most of the time you're, 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 you're given tasks to do and um, okay. dressings to change, you know, take vital signs, take a history. And you're all, you're just trying to learn bits and pieces of how to become a, a physician. And so okay. that's part of it. I think is, you know, I love my experience at Temple because, you know, you're put right into it. Like they're, they're not holding back. They're like, you know, you have to, you have to learn. You take your on call. I did, you know, I did trauma call. I was just going to ask about that. Being in like in Philly, I'm, there had to be instances where you had to deal with like gunshots and stuff like that. Well, let me tell you. I mean, another story comes to mind. Let's hear. Um, it. Yeah, brother got shot in in his in his in his butt. Um, you like, shot okay, me yeah, in the ass. Right, right, right. So this guy got shot in the ass, and unfortunately. It got infected, oh, no. and so yeah, so he gets shot in the ass, and then this he gets what we call necrotizing phagiitis. So what does that mean? It just means that the bacteria overwhelm the local tissue, mm -hmm. and you know around your behind you have some very potent bacteria, and they belong in your bowel. But once they oh, get no. out, and they're around tissue that's diseased or damaged, they go to town. And I just remember literally the guy became. Um, very ill, septic, his blood pressure was dropping. He, he basically yep. tanked. And so he went from like a joking shot in the butt. And then I remember being in a surgery and they literally were cutting away his oh. body completely. Like just, just like cutting it, chopping oh. it. And he didn't oh, survive. Wow. Like I remember like they took the bovian cautery and they were just slicing away his backside. <sighs> and I, you just opened meat. Like, and I, I, I mean, it was just like, <sighs> um, and yeah, he didn't meet him. He didn't wow. meet him. He died. And, and then um, it was just like crazy. And then there was another case where a brother got shot. He's in handcuffs and he's basically dying. And like the police were like standing out of the OR and like um, and I remember the, the surgeons did their exploratory surgery. And like there's this vein called the azagous vein. I, you know, I'll never forget the azagous vein. And it's one of the veins that basically, you know, goes around yeah. your heart. And when he got shot, this azagous vein got damaged and he bled. Oh, wow. And I remember um, he was a young brother, 
Um, and then, and then the police are like, I'm a student, I'm coming out of the OR, you know, he dies. And then they go, they gave me a signal, thumbs up, thumbs down. What's up, doc? Is he, is he dead or is he alive? Like it was some like, yeah, it was, I I was just like, you know, at the time I didn't really know how to answer. I felt like, what was this dude's circumstance? Cause I didn't know. I didn't know what his circumstance was and I didn't know why they shot him or, you know, you just don't know. And nowadays, you know, in the news, it's like, you don't know. I mean, you, you really don't know. And uh, this is a young black man who got killed, you know, died. Mm-hmm. Why, why? I don't know. But they were kind of like, um, I, I, it's like they wanted the inside right. scoop kind of thing. And they wanted that information. And I remember that, you know, you sort of confronted with sort of a social circumstance with you sort of learned about uh, this, this really cool anatomy. And, you, you know, this guy's chest is open and you're looking at the anatomy and it's like, oh, man, I remember that right. vein. And then you realize that's a young brother who just yeah. got shot in the chest. Wow. You know, and it's kind of like all that stuff sort of comes together. And it was just, it was a weird thing. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, I let him know he died. But, um, yeah, and it's it's just like uh, you're, you're faced right. with that. So I think you, you're, um, you know, another part of the learning is like the social side of medicine. Right. What are people's circumstances? How does that affect them? How does it affect their decision making? Mm. What food do they eat? What do they have access to? Do they have access to care at all? Do they have insurance? You know, a lot of those people wow. do. And then you're seeing them people who neglected their bodies or didn't have, you know, access to care. And, you know, as a student, it's amazing learning, but then you sort of take a step back. It's like, dang, you know, a lot of these people are struggling. They maybe if their circumstances are struggling, yeah. right. They, if they'd be different, if maybe they had access to care or more resources or, or, um, more opportunity. Wow. So like, you know, and again, that's looking back at it as a, you know, 40 plus year old adult who's been in practice for 10 years and has three kids as a student, it's kind of like, you're just, it's thrown right. at you and you have to just sort of digest as much as you can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so yeah, Temple, it was like that, you, you know, you, you, you had exposure to the inner city and then, you know, they, they farmed us out too. I also spent a, a rotation at Reading, Pennsylvania, more like oh, rural wow. Pennsylvania, where I did like a medical clinic and I did family medicine and I was able to shadow some docs in that community. Now that was good. It was a total contrast to inner city, Philadelphia, um, sort of, I would probably say lower middle class, yep. um, area, you know, more, uh, Caucasian. And then you saw that that circumstance and what was going on with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a good education. How did the two differ, would you say? Like, what was the most striking difference between the inner city and out there in the sticks in Pennsylvania? Besides the the, the race, obviously. I would probably say the pace. Um, the the doctors were the doctors were more laid back. Okay. Um, I felt like the learning environment was a little less intense. Yep. Um, like when we'd have a conference, it was a little, a little more laid back. Like it wasn't, um, the, on the learning side, I felt like get a little more chance to digest and it wasn't as intense and it wasn't like being put on the spot as much. It was more friendly and, you know, they'd ask you questions in front of patients, but I felt like it was just kind of honest conversation with the doc and you felt more part of, I want to say more part of, but, but like you could be like, oh man, this is, this is like community. This right. is, you know, uh, uh, uh a little different right. and you felt, I wouldn't say more comfortable, but maybe it was a little easier, right. you know, it, you, you're not running around and you don't have a, a resident yelling at you to make sure you got the vitals or you got the labs or you're, you're running to the ER. Okay. It was more of a relaxed atmosphere um, than being in the inner city Philadelphia. Got it. That's just, just how it was, you know, just, I guess the intensity level of level one trauma center versus a rural place is going to be yeah, different. For sure. For sure. And, um, okay. That's definitely uh, that was striking. It was a striking difference, and it was it was it was nice to have a contract. Yep, it definitely was. Mm. Definitely was nice to have a contract. Okay, uh, so now 
fourth year of medical school, what's like the next? And I'm asking these questions, one, because I don't know. And then two, because besides our, our friends, <laughs> shout out to Neil, who's also a doctor, a lot of the people who are listening have no clue either. So what happens after you right. go through that, your four years of yeah, med school? So, so yeah, I had a, another a, a very humbling experience. So, you know, here I am. Um, you know, I wasn't top of my class. I was probably, I don't know, 50 percentile or so. Right. I did fairly well. I was competitive, but I would by no means was I like the top notch student. Yeah. So what you do is you go through the match process. And so the match process is basically after you've done your third and fourth year, you've done um, essentially like these interviews. So I want to do orthopedics. So I did rotations at New York Medical College, um, St. Vincent's Hospital, in New York City. Okay. And um, I have to give a shout out to this because September 11th just passed. So uh, August of 2001, I'm at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York. And I remember probably one of the last times I saw the Twin Towers was this most amazing view from St. Vincent's Hospital. Hmm. So St. Vincent's is in the village. Right. And at the top of the hospital, I remember, yeah, it was an ortho, ortho resident. And he was like, yo, man, let's go to the roof and check out the view of the Twin Towers. And I remember um, looking at the Twin Towers, yeah. you know, from top of St. Vincent's Hospital mm. and like being in awe. Yep. And so, uh, you know, little did I know, a month later, they'd be wow. gone, you know. And um, yeah. And I remember like I, I was back in Philly when it happened. I remember, you know, as you know, my cousin was a firefighter. He died um, oh, helping. Oh, I did not know um, that. Oh, you did? No, okay, no. so James, my James, my cousin, yeah. So James Coyle, um, he was in ladder company number three, and um, uh, I don't know if you know my, you ever met my cousin Katie, but you, you might have met my uncle. James, yes, definitely. But it's done. So um, that was a whole thing. I mean, that was just a, a horrendous experience. Yeah. I mean, uh, gut wrenching experience. Long, you know, um, it's it's too hard to go into all the details, but essentially. As a student, I was a fourth-year student. I, I went, I'm back in Philly after I've done all my ortho rotations, and I'm in a patient's room in, in Temple Hospital, and the news comes on. They're like, oh, this airplane ran into the um, Twin Towers, and I thought it was a joke. Yep. I thought it was like a prop plane, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. I kind of brushed it off, like, what are you talking about? And then, um, and then as the news came on, it was like, wait a second. There was another plane, and it was like a jet plane. I was like, what? And then within 48 hours, um, you know, my mom's like, you know, your cousin's missing. Oh, man. We haven't heard from him. And so, you know, backstory, my cousin was actually on vacation and he was going to the Boston Red Sox Yankees game in Boston Mm -hmm. and he was traveling and he came back once he heard he came back basically on his own transportation, got on the subway and made his way back to the station and, you know, entered the fray, um, never to be heard from again. So he, um, I don't remember which tower he entered, but um, we, there was kind of this false hope that he was still alive. And, um, and then as the days went on, it was like, you know, no. And then it was probably close to seven to 10 years later, that we found his dental records. They found oh, his wow. A decade later, yeah. they finally found some oh, remains. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They found his um, dental record. I mean, his teeth yep. or whatever. And we were able to match it to his dental records and um, kind of do a DNA, DNA match to his dad. Shit. And so uh, that was like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, because it was just, um, you know, you're kind of cruising along in life. Oh, I'm, I'm about to graduate medical school and um, that happens. And obviously, you know, for the whole country, the terrorism yeah. and kind of dealing with that. But having a family member who was in that um, had a, a devastating effect. I remember just being listless, no yeah. energy for a while. And it was just like humbling. And then, you know, just because he was never, he wasn't found, it was kind of like this unsolved yeah, mystery. Yeah, forever. For and sure. so you know, I went through residency and, and life for a while, you know, we didn't know. And I remember all we had at his memorial service was a helmet and like a uniform and his picture. And then I remember Rudolph Giuliani came to it and I remember meeting him. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, um, one of those difficult wow. moments, but you know, I have to kind of give a shout out to that. And September 11th just passed, but it's something that, you know, obviously has directly affected me, yeah. and my family and, you know, something I always wow. think about. So anyway, another, you know, that, that's a, that's a, a death mortifying experience. Uh, another humbling experience is the match. So the match basically is after you've done your rotations, you, you apply to all these programs and then you're granted an interview. So, you know, when you do your clinical rotation, you meet, you know, try to meet the residents and the, and the chair people and say, Hey, you know, I want to come to your program. Yep. And then you have to apply and then you're granted interviews. So I was granted a handful of interviews. I think, you know, close to 10 interviews, you go in your interview and then match day is in the spring. So match day. Um, and my boy, Dennis, you know, Dennis. Aguini? Yes. Yep. Remember I him? do. So he and I, he and I celebrate happy, not match. Day, <laughs> quote unquote. So, um, I remember we, are, you know, you, you, you basically get a letter. And so what happens is, is the programs rank you, you rank the programs. And it's like, if you meet in the middle somewhere, if like you're, if you rank your program one and then rank you as one, then you match. Right. If you rank them three and they rank you three, then it's a big computer program. It's kind of like an algorithm. And, um, you know, ortho, I'm like, you know, going to follow dad's footsteps and lo and behold, I don't match, you know, I don't match. And it's like, um, I remember I opened my letter and I said, we're sorry you didn't match. And I remember I, I, you know, all these other people, Oh, I'm going to Chicago. I'm going here. I'm going there. Where are you going? And I remember I, I, I ran to the bathroom. I got into a stall. And I was halfway between vomiting and crying. Wow. It was just like this, like, you know, very humbling yep. feeling. Like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I'm not going to follow my dad's footsteps, you know, all this work. And, you know, by no means, I, I knew I wasn't a top-notch student. And I was like, listen, I, you know, I just got beat out. I lost. Um, didn't happen for me. And so the I remember one of the uh, deans came over to me and some of my class, you know, Dennis and some other guys and that didn't match. And they were like, you know. Um, if you want, we can just make up a fake envelope for you guys to open and we can take pictures of you if you want to do that. And I remember thinking like, I am not right. doing that. Like I'm not going on my classmates with a fake envelope to say, you know, to, and take a picture. And so, uh, and eventually it comes out, you know, I didn't yeah. match, you know, and then all the list of people that didn't match goes out, it gets around and you get the sorry mm. and, um, you know, sorry, bro. That's the worst. Blah, blah, that blah. pity, pity is but the worst. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And it was just kind of like. Thank you. Thank you. So I ended up um, looking around at my options. And so your options are reapply the next year or you could take like a transitional year where you just kind of do like an internship, you know, build some skills okay. and then reapply, okay. you know, and then that was uh, what I ended up recommending. I, I, I did. So I said, OK, I'll come to university, UMDNJ at the time. I'll be like do an internship year and then maybe I could, I'll get in the good graces of the ortho program because it's a program that I that I liked, I thought they liked me and, um, it didn't work right. out and, um, 
there was one over in New York Medical College. They always they said I was three slots away. It just didn't right. happen. And then my boy Dennis, um, excuse me, uh, he didn't match either. And we both um, were like, you know, humble. We were like for two days. We just wanted to hang out, hang in our apartments. And um, I remember we watched the movie Ice Age. I don't know why I watched the movie Ice Age. We watched the movie Ice Age, the cartoon. <laughs> yep. It was like we went to the movies and watched that. And then we went to like an Applebee's and we just like. You know, all of us got together. It was like, shoot, you know, a couple of us had matched Mm -hmm. and a couple didn't. And we were all just kind of saying like, oh, what are we going to do now? And so time passed. Well, let me ask you one thing. I had to go to a a wedding in uh, Grenada about uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, come to find out there's this big medical school there. So, yeah. Okay. Is that maybe, maybe this is unrelated, but is it, um, is that part of uh, – no, nah, I think my timing is off. So that's that's really just med school. And so instead of going to Temple, these are folks that couldn't get into like Temple. Yeah, so I, it's a U.S. graduate versus an overseas or Caribbean medical I see, school. I so see, I see. Some people don't get into a U.S. medical school. I got it. They'll get into a Caribbean and they end up going to Caribbean. I got you. But um, yeah, so getting back to the not match, so humbling – like, you know, tell my, couldn't, you know, I told my dad, he was like, well, you didn't match. And it was like, it, you know, it was, it was not a good experience. I mean, looking back, it was good yep. to be humbled and um, have to go through that. And, you know, nothing was you know, given to me. And it's like, you know, there's, even if you thought your, your manifest destiny was becoming an orthopedist, like your dad, it's not guaranteed. So fast forward like two weeks. And so two weeks later, um, or so, I can't remember the exact time frame. Um, I get a call from uh umd and j orthopedics okay and they were like uh you know what there's a chance a spot might have opened up i'm like what? <laughs> like yeah there's a, a chance a spot may have opened up um th- there was a, i remember i interviewed with this guy he was from germany he was like a six three german cat blonde blue-eyed dude mm-hmm. um who matched or whatever and so it turns out this dude got some form of cancer. Oh, wow. I don't know what it was. I don't know. I heard this. I heard it. Yeah. And he couldn't come. Right. And he couldn't, he came from Germany and he couldn't go. Wow. And so, um, I get a call from the residency director and they're like, uh, there's a good chance you're going to get this spot. And so, um, it took a while. There was some kind of back and forth cause I committed to another spot and I had to kind of decommit and then do it. And I was like, yeah, whatever I have to do, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And so I was blessed, lucky, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure my dad probably had something to do with it, you know, making some. Ah, true. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I I ended up getting this. Okay. And so, um, it was like, okay, um, I'll take it. You know, it's like the scrap that I was given this, this little light of opportunity. Um, I'm going to jump all over And so at the same time, and it's almost like a Hormuz story, Dennis is driving to Kalamazoo, Michigan. He, he committed to the same position that I did at Kalamazoo, Michigan mm-hmm. as a sort of like an intern. Homeboy has packed his car, driving to Kalamazoo, and he gets a phone call from Howard University Orthopedic Program. <laughs> And, oh, I cannot remember the boxer's name, but basically, um, he was a heavyweight champion for like three seconds. Okay. His younger brother 
got into the Howard Ortho residency program, but because this dude became a champion, he's like, nah, I'm going to be a promoter. Wow. Um, <laughs> yes. So, dude, I can't remember his name, but that's the – I forgot. If I, if I remember it, I'll, I'll let you know. But so There haven't been many. Um, it's been like the Klitschko brothers right. for like 15 years, then like Riddick Bowe, Tyson yeah. Bowe, Lennox it wasn't Lewis. Riddick Bowe. Um, yeah. The guy who beat Tyson. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, yeah, the guy um, – that's so crazy. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he was basically like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna like milk it with this guy," and wow, so he got um, a spot. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, he got a spot. And um, let's see if I can look. I'm trying to look him up right now. I wonder if he was from the U.S. or from Britain. Uh, he was the U.S. Hasim Rahman. Oh, That's yes. Hasim Rahman. Yes, yeah. So he was world champ for like three yes. seconds. I mean, literally like a matter of months. So his bro- younger brother was like, nah, son, I'm, I'm, I'm promoting Hasim Rahman. He's a world champ. I'm going to make this paper. For real. And so Dennis got his spot. So we both were like, what? And like, we were just like, we're, we're like, we're going to do this, man. Right. And so um, I ended up, Becoming an orthopedic right. resident. And it was like, you know, and, and certainly there's a shadow of, you know, my co-residents, oh, you got in because your dad and kind of stuff. You didn't get in right. the, naturally. Yeah. But man, by the time I graduated, and nobody said anything right. like that because I put in so much time and effort. And um, I was, I, I have to say, you know, looking at my skill level, I was highly skilled right. when it came to, um, you know, being on call and like dealing with complex situations in the in the uh, level one trauma center in Newark. So this is now we moved to Newark, and I'm training in Newark. And so um, I get to, to Newark, and I'm an intern, and um, and I realize like I wouldn't say I arrived, but I'm like I I'm good at this. Right. Like I, I realized like it was like I can I know what I have to do. And I like treating patients. Like I, you know, and I'm going. You know, I had I had like the death in the family. Mm-hmm. I I didn't make it. Uh, you know, I, I've had my failures, quote unquote. I ha, you know I have my mm-hmm. scars, and it's like okay. Now uh, then, and then I realized I was like, all right, this is what I was being prepared for. Guy was like, this is right. this your time now. You know, um, the scars you're gonna come out and you're gonna be good. And so, um, you know, I I I, I uh, my co-residents are good guys. You know, all very bright. And um, I realized that the journey was going to be fun. It was going to mm-hmm. be hard, but it was going to be fun. And so, uh, you know, your intern year, my very first rotation was plastic surgery. And um, you, you do your intern work. And I just realized, like, I can do this really wow. well. And, Wait, so um, what's that like? Yeah, as a, like? So that's interesting. So I thought as a, as a resident, you automatically, you were trying to do orthopedic surgery. And your, your residency is focused on that. But in fact... Yes. You're you're with a plastic surgeon. So, how's that work? Yeah, so as an intern. So so there's that your foundation of um, rotations or your your education as a resident um is grounded in in not only orthopedics, but you get exposure to um, general surgery, vascular surgery, plastic surgery. We did some radiology. You you spend time in the ICU. Wow. So I remember being interned in the ICU at Hackensack. Like that was where I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> it's like you have these um, like, because you're not prepared 
for like you're, you're like uh, you know you know what a swan catheter is. Mm, I know what the catheter is. <laughs> a swan catheter sounds right. painful. So, so a swan <laughs> catheter, right? Right. So so when somebody's has um, instability with their cardiovascular system, there's this device called the swan catheter. And what the swan catheter is, it goes in one of the central veins in your in your neck or your leg, and then it and then it follows the um, pressure in your heart and your okay. system. And so um, all these people have these swan catheters. And I remember as an intern, they, you know, the, the, this guy, um, what was his name? Uh, Blau. His name was Dr. Blau. This dude was brutal. And so, like, you had to, like, as an intern, you're, you're, you have, like, 20 sick patients. And, like, he'd want you to, like, interpret the swan catheter readings and, like, know exactly what medication they're on. And, like, they're on, like, 45 oh different medications. God. And like for blood pressure, for like diabetes, and they're on insulin, and you know it's very difficult. Like I knew, like I was comfortable with patients, but I knew as an ICU intern, like I was a little over my head. And this, and like I remember, like he'd want to make morning rounds with the intern, and like I remember, I just I was just happy to survive the night, and like no, oh my God, it was kind of like, and you you call him in the middle of the night, and he'd be like, "What's the Swan catheter reading?" And like, uh, you know, it's like. I'm not, exactly sure and like you're reading and like trying to do do the best you can but like you're put in these very very difficult circumstances and so um i enjoyed it but i knew it was like man this is hard like this is really really hard and um he was not an easy person to work with so i think there was a part of like being humbled by the actual experience but also being humbled by like an, a very intense physician who was like who would pimp you right. out basically and um <laughs> that's where you like you befriend, befriended the nurses and like some of the other people that could kind of give you hints about what to do and, you know, your, your senior residents you would rely on for help. Oh, interesting. It definitely was, um, yeah. And then I, that was the f- first time that I pronounced somebody dead. Oh, I had wow. to make a, I had to pronounce somebody dead. I remember it was a, it was an older man of color who was on a blood thinner and accident, he accidentally fell and hit his head and <sighs> he had out. blood on his brain. He bled out, right? You can't do it. Once blood gets in your brain, it's over. You can't, there's no way you can't go in there right. and stop it. It's just not going to, you can't do it. It's impossible. So I remember his wife came in and you know, we discussed the situation and, you know, she decided to end his life, you know, and, and not end his life, end care right. by stopping um, respiration right. tube. And I remember I had to pronounce his, his, uh, his death. And I remember like tapping on this guy's eyeball, right. you know, making sure that he didn't have any type of reflex and, uh, doing that, and then you have to sign the death certificate and do the whole oh. thing. So that that was a that was also part of learning and being in that circumstance. Almost kind of like wow, I was a third year medical student with that the baby who was ill. It was like an, this is on the un, end right. of life, you know, it's an older right, person right. who is dying, and you know what you realize is that like life goes mm-hmm. on, like you know it just it doesn't stop for anybody, and people die, and you have to kind of deal with it, and you know you have to do your best to, to reconcile it and and be a good doctor and, and talk to patients and be able to communicate with the family. You realize that like you're putting on these, you know, long hours and difficult circumstances and you're kind of building skills. Right. You're building your ability to talk under stressful circumstances and like becoming immune to mm. the stress. You're never a hundred percent immune to it, but it starts to lessen over time. Like the, the, you know, how fast things happen. You, okay. I've seen this before. Right. I've seen somebody have cardiac arrest. I know what to do to try to revive them or not. They might not survive, but you start to figure out um, how to do it. It's interesting. It kind of, kind of mirrors, um, it kind of mirrors your pledging experience 
like the you know stressful situation the long hours the when does the sleep deprivation start is that med school or is that your residency when you're expected to work like 36 hours straight or and do all those crazy things yeah so so that's a good question as uh, as a student uh, it's on you like um how many hours you're going to study okay. so it's you know when you're on call as a student you get exposed to being on call and you you work these 24 hours but it's nowhere near residency. Residency is when you actually have to okay. work. Like you're on a shift and you have a pager and like you you're you know, you go through certain rotations, some are worse than others where your pager just does not stop working. And so residency is when it is. But when I became an intern, the end of my internship year, this the law this law passed at about the eighty hour work week. <laughs> oh so God. it became a law that you couldn't work more than eighty hours as a as a um that's ill a work week is 40 hours so that's double the amount of time right so what was it before that like what could it be it it was like good luck (laughs) 100 plus yeah it was it was pretty bad it was like so so you know there's 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 two schools of thought the the old school is like all right you know you're not going to learn unless you put in these circumstances but the newer school is like okay if you're dead asleep your judgment's going to be impaired completely messed up you're not going to yeah yeah so that's what people realize because, you know, you'd have these these de- sleep-deprived, you know, junior residents making life decisions for right. people. And, you know, sometimes it didn't work out so yeah, well. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think uh, um, folks got wise to the game and that 80-hour work week came out. And that, you know, 80 hours is 80 hours. That's no joke. It's, you, you, you know, and, and my residency created this um, – <laughs> this infrared sensor system. So when I was an ortho resident, you got a uh, infrared digital ID. Okay. And so when you got in for the morning, you had to put your finger on the ID, the sensor, and then when you left for the day. And if you you were penalized if you overworked. Wow. So you actually got in trouble if you didn't get out of the hospital and uh, in your shift because it was t- tied directly to the residency program. Right. Like if the residency was in compliance, they could you could get in trouble and the, and the residency could end or be suspended or go on probation. Wow. So we, our residency director was like, you must get out. <laughs> and so, but the thing is, it's, it's a culture change because, <clears throat> you know, a university to hospital, they're used to the interns doing everything. Yes, exactly. The, the, you know, the, the residents, like the labor. So it changed how um, labor was enforced and, and how um, it was delegated. Oh, interesting. And uh, we were part of that. So, yeah. So, as a, you know, when I was a student rotating through at university, it was like I didn't sleep at all. It was it was like I'd literally be falling asleep in a circle. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, because you're just dead. You're not used to it. And then as a as a resident, you just get used to sleep deprivation and you know dealing with um, you know, when you become that second year student, you you talked about those other rotations. Yep. Well, when you become a second year, it's all ortho, and so and then when you're on call especially the level one trauma center, like that, that is brutal. Like it's just nonstop level one trauma. And you're the only orthopedic doctor in the hospital for level one trauma. Oh my goodness. Not only are you answering the pager for all the patients who are inpatient, you know, who are like, you know, had surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, You're also answering the pager for the ER. Oh my goodness. And the pediatric ER. Oh my goodness. All at once. And so that was like where... I probably lost the remainder of my hair. Um, I think I, I tell people I age. Like I think I age exponentially because you eat. I was eating poorly. I wasn't sleeping. Um, 
we did, you know, we used to play our basketball. So I did a little bit of exercise. Right. You know, we, that's when we were playing. We, we played our ball and got humble. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> um, but it was like uh, hard. Like that, it was just hard. And certain residencies are harder than others. Ours, I would say, was ranked as one of the higher, one more difficult right. ones. Um, because you would have times where you'd be going back from the PZR, going to the trauma bay, somebody with like an open fracture. You'd have to put a splint on them. You'd be getting a consent for surgery from the family. And I would say the hardest thing um, that used to keep me up at night and like, you know, almost bringing to tears was that the fear of messing up. And then the issue was if you were on call during the week, we had what we call morning report. And so if you're on call on Tuesday and you got like 25 consults, what you'd have to do is present all of your consults with history, x-rays, your treatment plan in front of about 40 people. So all the people, all of your attendings who are like well-rested, sleeping, um, and all the chief residents um, who are there, and all the students, and all the social workers, and you are in the front of everyone. And so so you you just get, you can get... so you right. you you basically you have all that work the night before, and then you have to, I mean, to put it for my simple mind, you have to write write reports on all twenty of those, like before right. the next morning, <laughs> and then report on them the next morning. Before the, report on them the next morning. Have all of your um. I'll give you an example. Okay, say a seven year old kid falls off the monkey bars, breaks his wrist, and it's a deformed mm-hmm. wrist. So you would say um. Uh, patient Jones is a seven-year-old male um, with a distal radius fracture displaced. He fell off the monkey bars. Um, the x-ray shows a, a growth plate fracture with 100% displacement, apex, you know, uh, volar angulation, 100% displacement. Um, uh, and they'd be like, what did you do for it? And you say, um, I closed, reduced it, meaning yeah. I set it, and then I put a cast on. So all of your work oh God. would be critiqued. <laughs> and so... When you first start, they would say, uh, you know, what's the uh, Salter-Harris classification system for the for distal radius factors? And so you're, you're like, you've had no sleep. You might have gotten something to eat. Um, and you're petrified because these are like literally like sharks yeah. in the water. And they're just waiting for a little bit of blood. And so, you know, as a student, I saw it. You know, I got exposed to morning report at university. Like I knew it, right. how malicious it was. And then as an intern, you do a little bit of call and then like you get babysat by your uh, senior residents and then you're on your own. And once you're on your own, you have no <laughs> lifelines. So if you made like you can you can call the chief resident and ask them like, oh, what should I do? And they'll give oh, you yeah. advice. But once you present, you you are you were presenting. And so uh, people would would everything from how you wrote the consult out. Um, your cast is too thick. Oh, my um, God. You, you would get screamed at if there was any, um, anything wrong, um, you could get toast. And depending who was there, like, it, you know, some people worse right. than others. But that's where you – that's where, like, I you know, I remember um, one particular circumstance. I was on call for a, a month where I was on call every – I did – we used to do Friday Sundays. And so I remember I did four Friday Sundays in a row. <laughs> yeah. So I was in the hospital for one month straight every day of the week. So I was on, you know, I did my regular rotation Monday, you know, Monday through Friday. So I'm on call Friday. 
I'm post call Saturday, come back Sunday, post call Monday, back to work Tuesday. One Ooh. month straight. I wanted to strangle my attendance. <laughs> I wanted to I, I literally wanted to strangle because I it was like you're a prisoner and then somebody is just kind of right. beating you and like browbeating you and, and, and criti- criticizing you and in your mind it's like don't you understand like I'm I'm beat like physically and you do the best you can and like it makes yeah. you hard. Like honestly it, it really and some people you know don't do so well but I felt like um I performed better um than both most right. of my peers when it came to reducing fractures, putting making putting on casts and like I think out of say I, I took all a hundred times, I probably had two wow. bombs. You know, where I just I just bombed the night or I just didn't do yep. so great. And then like at the you know, at the, because the thing is what you what I always strove for was I wanted the room to be ah. quiet. So if I presented that seven year old kid and I put on my cast you, all you want to hear is, okay, looks good. Next one. Next. Yep. Next. Gotcha. But if you start here, go back to that picture. What? What? Did you get a good lateral view? Did you get a good ape? How come it looks oh, – um, Did you? that patient needs to be called. Call that patient right now. Have them come back to the – and you just like oh, – and like, <laughs> you know, you get to- tortured. But I would say that like I had less bombs than most of Got my it. peers. I, I, I can honestly say that hmm. where I kind of like – I just got good at it. Um, not that my peers are bad at it, but like – um, I felt pretty good about my work, right. like, you know, and, and what you do is you just ascend the ladder and then year three, you take call and you're better at it. You sort of master it uh, to an extent. And then the fourth year, um, you're kind of monitoring the, the, uh, you know, the new folks that are coming yep. in and then your chief, you take home call. You just couldn't get wait to be a chief because you were the person who answered the phone of the, of the junior. Oh, interesting. You say, all right, you know, they would call you. Oh, you know, I have this uh, bad elbow. What should I do? And I felt like I was by that time, like my game was tight. And so in that morning report, the the um, junior resident is the one presenting, but the senior res the chief resident has to be at the podium. Oh, interesting. And so sometimes the yeah the chief would would maybe be able to bail you out or like give you a lifeline mm-hmm. or at least explain maybe did you speak you know say did you speak to the chief and like yeah yeah and you know this is what we decided on and. A lot of times they wouldn't really come d- down hard in the chief. Once you were a chief, you kind of had that respect right. of everyone. But like getting that respect and earning it and getting to the point where like the attendings kind of look at you as a peer took time. And like, you know, I think it's still take, you know, I, I would say up until about three or four years ago, I, you sort of, you're scarred and like, you know, you, uh, three or four years ago, <laughs> son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just like, you look at your, like the attendings from residency, like, you were mean, like, you know, just kind of like. You know, oh, so it's the same thing as, as as what we talked about before with pledging. That, that was my question. It's like, yeah. how do you reconcile yeah. somebody, you know, treating you like garbage well, and then all of a sudden your family? Well, yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing is like now I'll, I'll refer patients to them or I'll like I would say the good circumstances, I'll get one of their patients that may have had a complication or an issue. You know, I'm in the community. So patients oh, come to me right. as a community orthopedist and. And they'll say, oh, you know, so, you know, Dr. So-and-so from uh, university did my surgery and this happened and there's a complication. And, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, listen, doc, um, I saw your patient and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, OK, can you handle it or, you know, can you refer it back to me? So your peers and then I'll call them and say, listen, this is a difficult case. I think it, you know, you're an expert in this particular field. Can you see it? And the majority of the time, like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, send it over. So you sort of become peers. And I feel like, you know, I'm. 
I'm more or less kind of a gatekeeper in the community. I'm, I see, I'm on the, I'm on the ground. I'm in the community. Mm-hmm. My practice is a part of the community. That's awesome. And um, they're kind of, you know, in the hospital. They're more in that university setting, and so there's layers of bureaucracy to reach reach them. Whereas me, it's like you ah, call my office. Right. You see me. Right. 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 You right. Know? So it's a very different experience. And so um, now we're peers, and um, it's definitely different. It's yeah. definitely like I, I um. I'm not, I'm not intimidated. Yep. You know, I've been in practice for almost 10 years now. And it's kind of like, I know I'm comfortable with my skill level, but I think up until a few years ago, you still look at folks like, you know, they, they kind of saw you at your worst right? and they took advantage of you. And, mm-hmm. but you know, you graduated and they're the ones who, you know, helped you along the way you pass your boards and things like that. And, um, mm-hmm. they're there to help. Right. So it is a process. And again, I, I think if I were looking at my current residency program, nowhere near as malicious as, <laughs> you know it's just that whole it's the whole um i don't want to say it's, it doesn't equate to the me too movement but it's kind of like having an understanding right you know, like the meat you know people like getting sexually assaulted and like the rude comments was like commonplace 20 years ago yeah you know yeah yep. just like we were getting blasted and cursed at it was commonplace but it's not pc anymore right and so right. Um, people are getting called out. People are losing jobs. The same thing. Like you can't. Oh, for real? Like even in where where you're working too? It's do you, do you see like? Well, it... it's different. The culture has changed. People have evolved. It's no longer as malicious. Wow. Like the morning report isn't as intense. Got it. Um, it's just not because it. You can't. You you end up getting a, a work violation. Wow. You know, they're state employees, and so if you're a state employee and you're harassing someone, like somebody could report you. And be like this dude cursed me out. Oh wow! <clears throat> and then you have to get some type of work training and, you know, um, cultural sensitivity training, things like that. Wow! So essentially, like, um, not allowing that culture of maliciousness and um, basically spewing evil yeah. towards your, um, uh, I would say, your peers yep. or folks who are under you. You know, hmm. um, just it's not as as prevalent right um as it was before so um, just- i, I want to ask you about um like uh your current day but before i do that i was wondering if you could tell our listeners about the time <laughs> you challenged that one doctor to a fight <laughs> oh man oh yeah 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 so this guy um this cool dude his name's lou magnati right oh he's a cool dude now <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah Friends, after we're friends, but uh, he he went to he went to Nashville. So, oh yeah, this is my intern year. Okay. And um, intern year, I'm in the trauma bay. I'm with a um, my fourth year, yeah, or fourth year resident, I think, or a second year resident. And we're looking at a CT scan or an X-ray of a patient who came in. Okay. And so I'm um I'm looking on the computer and I'm like pulling up an image. And then suddenly the um, screen locks okay. and the computer um, freezes. And so Lou Magnati, who was the general surgery attending on call, uh, who, you know, he's, he's uh, having to deal with a bunch of patients and, uh, you know, he's under stress, comes up to me and was just like, I mean, just started F-bombing like crazy. <laughs> like, what did you do? You F this up. I can't believe, like, just venom. Like, right, right. Straight, like, didn't know me. Um, and... I can't, I can't tell you how many times I apologized yep. um, to the guy. I said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. Like, yeah, a computer thing happened. Like, I, I, I was trying to look at an x-ray just like you. And there was a bunch of people around. And then at some point, 
something snapped. And, <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know what else I have to say to you. Um, but I got, I got angry. I was like, this dude is cursing me out in front of all these people. I told you I'm sorry. What else do you want me to do? Like grovel on the floor? Yep. And then um, I challenged him. <laughs> I was just like, uh, you know, um, do you want to take this outside? <laughs> um, I, love I was it. like, we can talk about it like men. I was like, I told you I'm sorry. And I was like, if you want to talk about it outside, like men, we can talk about it outside. And um, dude backed up. Dude, look, his eyes went bright. And like there's students around. There's other doctors around. And I was just like, I, I, I just said, I, I couldn't take it. I was like, you know, you don't know me. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to do this. It happens. I apologize to you. I don't have anything else to say. You're, you're basically, you know, um, like trying to make me look small yep. in front of all these people. And I'm not going to have it. Yep. And so I basically challenged dude to a fight. <laughs> and I was like, go outside. We can handle it. If you want to curse me out, curse me out outside. And dude was like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean to. And this and that. And then he backed up. I think he realized that he overstepped his boundaries. Right. But, like, the culture of surgery is malicious. Like, dudes are used to be like, F you. Wow. What are you doing, you dumb F? You know, like, it's, wow. they're like, like, that's like, you know, they're allowed to do that and get away with it. And you can't say nothing kind right. of thing. And right. I said something. And, like, I paid the price, though. I paid the price. <laughs> oh, From did that you? point forward, oh, yeah, all the, all the general surgery chief residents, I was on their SHIT list. And I got, like, I was still an intern. So I got, yep. like, all these. I got extra call, call on Christmas, oh, man. you know, all these hard rotations and it didn't, it wasn't a good thing for me. Like it, right. like in the end it was like, yes, you know, and looking back on it, I wish I had defended myself with a little less anger, I guess, but I, you know, he and I ended up becoming pretty cool friends. Right. Like afterwards, like we joked about it and like, you know, we made up and I'm, when I used to take call later on as an ortho resident we used to just kind of joke around mm -hmm. and um, That's he funny. wasn't like, yeah, I mean, we just kind of made up, but um, it was, I, I was, it was intense. It was like a very intense moment. And like, I, it's like, what do you do? Like, do you, you know, go away? You cry. Do you, yep. you know, I didn't want to punch dude. But I, I, you know, it was one of those things. I was like, I got to defend myself. I was like, you know, um, excuse me. Like, <laughs> I love it. Appropriate, like a few, fine. All right, I got it. I effed up, fine, and I took ownership. Like I owned it. Right. You know, it's not like I didn't own it. I owned. I made a mistake. I didn't mean to. I totally. All I was doing. It's like if your computer froze. Yep. And you, you'd hit a keystroke. You didn't mean to do it. You didn't do anything in particular. But under his circumstances, like he wanted to see a CAT scan or whatever, and he needed to see it right away. Yeah. So, and then like my my chief resident like pulled me out. He's like, man, we got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> But um, nothing happened like on an administrative level. Oh, I got you. I didn't no, I didn't get any type of. Um, it was all like behind the back channels kind of yep. stuff that happened, like the passive aggressive stuff. I paid for. Yep. Um, and then in the end, you ended up being tight. That's so funny. I ended up being tight with dude. I it was his name is Lou Magnani. I, you know, he's probably I think he's in Nashville. Wow. I haven't seen him for years, but um, yeah, we ended up kind of like. Um, making up and that's awesome uh, it was cool like i just it, it was cool like you know if i saw the dude i'd have a beer with him i have to take him to dinner that's awesome uh, we laugh about it but uh yeah it's just like it's high stress high you know and and uh yeah i just i felt like i had to defend myself yeah hmm. <laughs> taking you back so, right, right. so so now i i would i was wondering if you could walk me through like in like the current day what's what's a typical day look like for you 
Yeah, so a typical day. Um, what did I do today? So typical day is uh, morning rounds in the hospital. So say, for instance, on a Monday, um, like this past Monday, we did a total hip and a total knee replacement. Okay. Um, and last week I did a femur, like a femur fracture, fixed a woman's femur uh, who had a stress fracture. Okay. So in the morning, um, you usually go to the hospital. You make your morning rounds with your, your patients. You um, – you know, make notes in the morning. So typically you're in the hospital by about 730 um, and you make your morning rounds. Depending on your census, you might have a lot of patients. Mm -hmm. For me, I had uh, just a couple patients to see. So you make your morning rounds and then typically what happens after the morning rounds is um, you have patients in the office. So elective patients scheduled where you're, you have consultations. My um, busiest day is Thursday, like tomorrow. I have about 40 patients in the office scheduled, Whoa. and um, we just start around 8.30, and I usually end around 5, 5.30. And so once you make you kind of take care of the hospital, you tidy that stuff up, you go do your um, consultations. And then um, I'm on call this week for a hospital, so there may be a call that comes in from the ER or it might be a consultation from the hospital. So typically you're answering you know, calls from the hospital itself, mm -hmm. depending on what they need. And then so now when, surgery. when you say like answering calls for the ER, does that mean just literally answering a call on a phone or does that mean like on call, like you may need to go in and actually like put on scrubs and, and get to business? Right. So it could be both. Okay. Um, so in the last, let's see, maybe three calls ago. About two months ago, yep. I, I had to go, go in emergency. There was a young man who fell off a ladder. He's at work and he dislocated his wrist. So I had to go in and um, decompress a nerve and like reduce his wrist emergently because the nerve was being pinched in his hand. Okay. So that was an emergency that I went in um, and did. But most of the time, um, what happens is you're basically, you triage, triage the severity of the injury. So there might be a, a physician's assistant in the ER I say, hey, Dr. Lee, I have this woman who fell. She has a broken wrist. I put a splint on it. Can you uh, see it in your office tomorrow? And you're like, oh, yeah, sure. What's the name? And you sort of take the information, and then you have your staff follow up with the patient. So I would say the majority of the time, it's a call to confirm that that patient is okay to be discharged and that they, they can affirm that you are going to follow the patient as an outpatient. Okay. And those are the, I would say the fun calls, but they're the ones that's like, okay, this isn't difficult. Um, and a lot of times now we can do it all through text, you know, Oh wow! They, they'll text you an x-ray or they'll give you the medical record number. You can look it up on your computer. I can look at the x-rays. Okay. That looks good. And then boom. And so it's not a lot of, um, a lot of this digital medicine is, is nice because you can really, um, make it efficient. Right. And so you can really quickly look at a film and you can know what needs surgery, what doesn't, what needs to be, what has to stay in the hospital, what doesn't. Right. And so you can kind of create your plan of care from your computer. That's crazy. And um, yeah. And then the next day you can say, okay, um, you know, if it's like an 80 year old with a hip fracture, she, she needs a medical doctor to clear her for before surgery, make sure all of her um, medications are appropriate and you know, her heart's okay. And you sort of create a plan and a lot of it can be done digitally. Okay. A lot different than running around the ER <laughs> at university hospital. Oh, wow. Um, wild, wild. You know, so it's like, so me, it's like for me now, it's, I, I don't want to say it's easy, but like what I did and what I'm doing are so different. Like I'm, I, I had to be at such a high level and an intense level for so long for like four years, and and now you're like, all right, you know, that those that hip fracture doesn't scare me. Like I've done that. Before. Hmm. Like it's that's that's not that difficult. 
um, and I kind of know what to do. You sort of have a plan in place. Interesting. Um, the ones that are difficult are like the card cases that you're not comfortable with. Maybe a complex elbow or, you know, um, a difficult foot injury or something. Something you're not comfortable with. And that's where you're like, all right, you have to maybe refer it out or like, you know, do something temporary and then make sure that that patient gets some, you know, the appropriate follow-up or follow-up with a doctor that you think can kind of handle the situation. That's where it can get a little dicey because then you, you, when you're on call, you have to take all comers, uninsured patients, insured. And when people don't have insurance, sometimes it's very hard to follow, to get a doctor who might, you know, be the appropriate doctor but they may not take the insurance. Oh, I got you. Want to see the patient. So then you're kind of being like a social worker at the same oh, time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so one thing that that is kind of new to me is I always thought as an ortho, you guys do basically from like the knee down. And you've mentioned like wrist. You've mentioned elbow. So where where where's the line drawn for you guys? Yeah, so you're basically the entire musculoskeletal system except like the um, – the face, okay. um, facial bones, but, uh, basically everything. Like I, I don't do spine surgery, okay. but like I can, I'm considered an expert on the musculoskeletal system from basically the cervical spine to your tailbone, your, you know, your shoulder all the way down to your fingers, all you know, and then your hips all the way down to your toes. So the, any broken bone or injury, I, I can have, I have a foundation of knowledge that I can comment on and create a treatment plan. Wow. So, yeah, so it's not, yeah, that's, that's not knee down. So I actually, for me, like I, I love shoulder. Like that's kind of like my knee. Oh, interesting. Uh, if I had a chance to do like anything more than something else, I would do shoulder. So I, I wouldn't say I'm known for it, but I tend to get some referrals in shoulder. I've done grand rounds and I've sort of talked about it mm-hmm. in hospital settings. And I always talk about shoulders with, with folks. And, um, for me, I get a lot of those referrals, but like, yeah, I, um, when you're on call, it's kind of like all comers I got you. you can get anything and so you gotta it keeps you fresh and um you just kind of have to know like all right your limitations and what you can and cannot do got it and so um yeah man it's the entire musculoskeletal system except kind of like facial okay. what what about the shoulder like intrigues you so much or what 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 makes you like that body part more so than than like the knee or or the ankle or whatever uh, I like the anatomy of the shoulder. I, it's a it's an interesting joint. It's a it's an, a joint that's inherently loose, lax, mm-hmm. and any bit of instability or you know injury, you can make it an unstable joint. So there's instability that you can treat, and then there's people who have arthritis that you can treat. There's fractures, um, and the anatomy is challenging. It's it's um, there's a lot of nerves around the area. Um, there's different uh, types of shoulders, and it's just fun. Like I I just. It's something that I like doing. I don't know. I, I did a lot of it in uh, my fellowship, which is the year after residency. Right. And it's something that I'd sort of gravitate to. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. Um, so you were talking about efficiency and like new systems and the hospitals and stuff. So one of the questions that I have for you is um, uh, what, well, let me ask this first. What are some of the things that you learned from your father? Uh, that you continue to use today maybe it maybe it has to do with actual surgery or maybe it doesn't have to do with surgery it could be anything oh yes yeah. so that's a good question i would say one is how to deal with stress ah um don't know how to deal with um difficult circumstances complications um my father does not get stressed out he just um <laughs> he, you know you know you know him personally yeah. you know his personality i think i 
I don't handle stress as well, but how to deal with a difficult situation and difficult patient and just don't get stressed out. You know, it's, it's very easy to, when you have a complication, to just get really worried, stressed out. And I think early in my career I did. Right. Uh, not that it's fun, but, um, he taught me to just relax, you know, um, you know, think, handle it. Um, and uh, don't let it get you down. Got it. it can, you know, you have a, a bad result or something. It can it can stay with you for a while. Yeah, right? yeah. You just tell me. You know, don't ignore it, but um, don't let it eat eat at you and and, and take away from you enjoying life. Mm-hmm. So I definitely learned that. Um, I also learned how to just um, talk with a patient. Be re- you know, just reason with someone. I think um, you know, if, as a physician, you know, we have a lot of knowledge, and you know, some folks don't have that bedside manner. I think my dad has you know, an amazing bedside yeah. manner. Yeah. And I think, um, that has also been a huge part of what I've learned from him. Hmm. Um, just bedside manner, talk to patients, joke, um, try to find some commonality because, you know, if they're, if they're seeing you as an orthopedist, they have a problem, there's something wrong. And, you know, their circumstance may be one where they're very compromised or they're not comfortable. And if you can joke with them or at least create some type of connection, it like it makes the visit easier. It makes their um. I, I, that's like I look at my dad as not just like a orthopedic surgeon, like a technician, but I look at him as a healer. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people miss. A lot of physicians can miss is you know there's one thing to try and fix a patient, but to heal is different. And and healing doesn't always mean that everything is perfect. Healing may be learning about your condition reconciling that you have a permanent condition or permanent injury and then how to deal with it, how to do it, your symptoms and how to reconcile dealing with it. Having somebody explain to you what has happened, you know, what needs to be done and then allowing you to try to digest it and in your way so that you can um, move on with life. Right. And so you can try to fix something perfectly. And, but if somebody still has pain, you've executed a perfect operation, but you're not able to communicate with that person you know, what was done, how it was done, why you did it, then they always have questions. They always leave unsatisfied. They always have something, oh, you know, I wish the surgery had been different or somebody else did the surgery or that, you know, and then you might have done a perfect operation. Right. Or what you think is perfect. But I think the healing comes in when you can speak to someone, when you can talk to them, when you can talk to their family, mm-hmm. when you can, um, you know, deal with other doctors who are taking care of that patient. That is like, to me, a key element where, where it's not training, you know, you have to sort of learn it and some of it is your 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 own personality right. and skill, your interpersonal skills. Some people just don't have it. Mm-hmm. That um, yeah. they might be brilliant and they have their technique is amazing, but interpersonally they can't communicate. I deal with these people and, every single day, Jenny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know how it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I'm sure you have plenty of brilliant, people highly technical do. people. Right. You know, Nobel scholars, Nobel laureates. They just, yeah. yeah, can't can't relate on that level to 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 other humans. It's it's crazy. It's exactly. so crazy. Wow. So I would say that, and then, um, um, he's very solid with the knee. You know, my dad is just very good at like knee arthroscopy and like total knees and um, learning how to, you know, do certain type of meniscus repairs and, you know, learning how to address, you know, all the different compartments of the knee. I think um, that's something I certainly took away. His technique is pretty, pretty awesome when it comes to knee arthroscopy. And so that's like a technique part where it's like, all right, I really like how you scope or what you did and, you know, the exposure you get and how you do it. And I think um, that's something where it's like, wow, he's, he's really good at it. And I'm glad I, I had a chance to watch him. 
Okay. And so now as we're, we're our, our, our father's sons, right? And that's the same with our own sons. You always want that the next generation improves upon like the, it's like the model T and now, yeah. now you get the Mustang and you're, you're improving upon the previous generation. So from that perspective, how do you think, um, what, what things do you think you do better than your father does or that you work to improve? I would say the one thing I think I do better is, um, I think I'm pickier with who I operate on. Oh. Um, yeah. I think um, I'm, I, it may not even be better. It's just what I've learned. So okay. for me, I think, um, you know, your patients may pick you, but I think you also have to pick your patients. Hmm. And so I think for me, I've become a lot pickier with who I operate on because I, I really, I want to have good outcomes. And so I think I spend a lot more time educating my patients, not only about their orthopedic condition, but their health in general. So I'll give you an example. Like I had a young, a young, young man, a brother who was about 45, who had a very bad hip. Okay. And he was a definite candidate for a total hip replacement, worked for UPS. He was struggling, couldn't do it, you know, young kid. And, um, you know, I showed him, you know, we got x-rays um, and, and he, you know, I was basically like, I think you're a candidate for a total hip. And then as I got to know him, he was like, well, um, I smoke, you know, and I'm like, well, listen, I was like, um, based on my experience, you know, with nicotine and smoking, like you can have wound healing problems, you can get an infection. And I actually got one in a, in a previous smoker, like maybe six months before. So it's very fresh in my mind. Wow. And so like, you know, once you get an infection, it's difficult to treat. So mm-hmm. I told him, I said, listen, I was like, I think you can get a total hit, but I'm not touching you until you stop smoking. And I'm going to get nicotine, nicotine levels until I know that it's close to zero. Oh, wow. And so you so were testing him too. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I sent him, he didn't have a primary care doctor. So I, I like, you know, I kind of was like social work. I was like, I got him set up with a primary care doctor. I got him on a smoking cessation program through his primary care doctor. I saw him like every two months okay. for like six months and this, and he brought his level down. Okay. And then I ended up doing a total hip and he did fantastic. Wow. He's so happy. And I would just say for me, like my dad's the type to be like, okay, cool. Let's sign you up. I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I mean? And like, yep. that's just him. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like I, I, I filter more than my father. Right. And again, right. it's not right or wrong. It's just like I'm pickier and right. maybe my volume is a little less, but like I find that if I can at least, you know, you come to me with what you think is a hip problem, knee problem, shoulder problem. And then I discover that your health is, is, all, is, is, is suboptimal. I'm going to do whatever I can to get you in the best health you can. I'm going to say, all right, you know, I do think you might need a procedure done. I'm not comfortable. And this is why. I'm not, right. I'm not being mean to you. I'm trying to help you. And so let's work together. And then if, you know, to me, the reward is, all right, let's get that shoulder done. You know, you, you stop smoking or your diabetes is under control. You lost 20 pounds. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm trying to be, um, more of a, a complete physician. Like, in, you know, like I guess ball player having more of a complete game, right? Where it's like, right, not right. just like I'm dope, you know, with my surgical technique yeah, that's great. I can fix that knee with no problem. I'm like, ooh, let's look, let's look at your global picture and yep. let's try to work on this. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're you have a bad heart and your knee's great, it you know you die because of you have a bad heart and you didn't address it. Right. What was the point? What was you know? the point? And so, right. And that's where I feel like I collaborate a lot with my colleagues in the community. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of collaboration. One of the things we do that I really love doing, I've done it for about a year and a half, is 
about a, every other month we go to a church in the community. Mm-hmm. And there's a panel of about seven doctors, um, all brothers, who basically talk. You know, one guy's pulmonary. I'm ortho. There's a cardiologist. There's a pediatrician, psychiatrist, and we just it's like we're talking like just like now you and I are talking. Yep. It's like ask questions about your health, and all these congregations get people together, and they just ask questions about health and like what bothers them, and and try to just build trust in community, and right. then and then trust amongst colleagues. So for me, it's like all right, let's I have to be a little more global, um, do a lot more educating, and then and and operate when it's appropriate. Operate when I really feel like all right, I know this person well, almost kind of like know your customer type of situation got it got it got um, it yeah it's like you know think about like when you go for, if you ever try to apply for a loan or a mortgage they they want every last detail Everything. of your life like 20 years yep. for me i'm more like that now with patients in the past i was like oh no let's get the hip done yeah now i'm like do you have mental health issues are you on a blood thinner do you have you know uh did you ever have complications with anesthesia do you have sleep apnea and then a lot of stuff will come out matter of factly. Like they'll say, "Oh no, 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 no," and then they'll say, "Um, oh yeah, oh yeah." About a year ago, I had to, I was in the hospital for a foot infection with, my, <laughs> with an open wound on my foot, and like stuff comes God. out like matter of factly, and then yeah. you're like, "Oh really? Tell me more." Like, and then you're like, "All right." So that's why I feel like X that X that guy off. Right, 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 right. So it's kind of like process of elimination. Yeah, and I, I just feel like I'm a lot pickier. I, I, right? I, is it better? I don't know. Like, I feel like. I mean, in a, to, to me, in a sense, it is. Just listening to that story about the the uh, UPS worker, so you you helped repair his help, but you also helped him stop smoking. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, the guy's 45. He's got a young. He had like a newborn and a, one other child. I think. Exactly. And I'm like, and I try to be like, listen, that that's gonna slow you down long term. You have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. I know a lot of people come in and they're fixated on their joint or whatever ails them, and they don't. They're not like seeing the whole picture. Hmm. I found like his outcome was amazing. Like I, I think I made a huge difference. Not only with his hip, like I was able to execute a good operation, and and he's so happy. You, dude, um, you added years to his life. Right, <laughs> that's right. crazy. That's yeah, so that's, crazy. Yeah, that, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, just I feel like I'm when I'm when I'm with a patient, I'm I'm doing a lot of educating. You right. Know? And it's just like, and I feel like if you build this equity and education with the patient, and it comes time for them to need a surgery. It becomes almost like, all right, when are we going to do this? Because you've, you've met them, you know them, and then you kind of plan for it. And it might be six months down the line, but it's not like a sudden surprise. You sort right. of developed this before. It's like, okay, it's time for the surgery. You're, you're not doing so well. You know, um, We tried the injections. We tried therapy. We got you in good health. All right, let's, let's move forward. And they're like, okay, yeah. So I, that's what I strive for. And got it, got it, got it. I'm not perfect by any stretch, but I think that's kind of where my dad and I may be a little bit different. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Look at this. We've been, we've been talking for two hours. This is crazy. So let me ask, how can people get in touch with you? And and maybe this isn't just because, you know, people who listen to us are, are all over the place. So you might have folks listening to this in Boston, but I think it's still kind of important. I realized when I was having... Um, health issues, uh, sarcoidosis. They, in fact, they thought it was MS at first and it took like six months to, to diagnose and they figured out it was sarcoid. I realized how um, how tight the medical community is and how much like you guys are friends with each other. And so even though you may be in New Jersey and a guy may be in Boston, you have a contact there or in Tennessee or wherever. So 
this is for you. This is also for like for everybody, basically. But so how do folks get in touch with you? Sure. So um, if you want to learn more about me and the practice, um, you can go to the website we have. It's, it's www.orangeorthonj.com. That's orangeorthonj.com. Um, that uh, basically has all the information you could possibly need. There's um, If you want to request any type of feedback, questions, there's uh, a service where you can basically request an appointment. And even if it's not for a formal office visit, you can still request it and then ask a question or you want to follow up or, or uh, some type of correspondence, you can just go to that uh, interface, type in your question, concern, or if you want an appointment, it's, it's a pretty easy interface. And okay. uh, we'll get back to you pretty soon. I think it's probably the easiest way. It has our office phone number as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. This You're was welcome. this was excellent. I, I appreciate this. I appreciate your time. And, and next time when we do this, we're, we're going to do it's going to be 100% dedicated to cryptocurrency. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Man. Forward to that. That's, uh, that's going to be fun. I, it's funny, like you, you, you sparked all these memories like I that just came out like it was like and it very mm-hmm. vivid. You know, very mm-hmm. vivid. I, <laughs> yeah, I, really, I really appreciate that, too. It makes me just kind of go back and appreciate the journey. And, and I'm glad I'm able to share. And if hopefully it helps somebody, I really do. Yeah. Well, I mean, from my perspective, I didn't realize how many um, setbacks that you, oh, yeah. you kind of gone through and had to overcome. And so that's kind of refreshing to see like for a lot of people, um, when you hear their story, it's all about the successes and you don't hear about, you know, right. the, the drawbacks, the hurdles and, you know, yeah. the sadness and stuff that folks go through. So that, right. that was very yeah. refreshing. It is. And I think when you, you know, I, I know like going through it at the time, it's humbling. You don't want to share it. You don't want to like disclose, but yep. um, I think it's important to, to, to share and like, you know, you, you get humbled, but you learn from the experience and it's okay to fail. Like it's okay to fail. And, right. You know, you're, I'm, I'm better for it. I, I can look back on it and know that I, that I was humbled, but I, I learned from the experience. I think it, it, it you know, it's not easy, you know, right. to, to share initially and that sting can be really hard to deal with. But I think mm-hmm. ultimately in order to get better, that that's a part of the process. Right on. Right on. Thank you very much, Hemi Lee. It was a pleasure. We will be talking soon. Take care, brother. We'll speak soon, man. Okay, take care.